Welcome back. Today we are wrapping up Hebrews part 20. Grace be with you. So this is our 20th look at Hebrews and uh, we will finish it tonight. And then whatever I mess up, I'll fix in the morning. But this is what we're going to talk about. Hallelujah. Grace be with you. Hallelujah. One of the first lessons I learned when I was a young, very young man, uh, coming to know the Lord, that word grace, you know, in my world, if you said the word grace, it meant you were going to say a little prayer before your meal. And that's all I knew about grace, even though I was raised in the Lutheran church where you know, there was an obsession with grace, but I didn't understand what they were talking about till I got grown. And um, somebody taught me the little acrostic, and it still doesn't fail us, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's still unbeatable. Grace to you. The riches of heaven be yours. The revelation of Jesus, the rider on a white horse, the one whose eyes are of fire. May that be that the, what gives you direction in your life and causes you to be able to say, I know where to go. Or even if I don't know where to go, I know I'm okay because I can see him. It is the impartation that I want to leave with you that you could see him who though he sees you and knows you, loves you with an everlasting love. And though every secret is revealed to him, he embraces us. When I think of grace, I remember the woman at the well who came at that odd time and met Jesus at the well during the day with all of her shame. And Jesus, with a word of knowledge, says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You've said well, for you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. By the way, I've always been afraid that some prophet would come along and bust me like that. first time I met Bertha Smith, I thought, oh God, oh God, don't let her see me. <laughs> you know, you know what you're talking about? Those old holy people that you're just sure they know all your sins. And Jesus did that to her. And she said, you must be a prophet. And they had a discussion about that. And listen, he said, he said, woman, if you knew the gift of God, the grace, and who it is that's speaking to you, you'd ask me and I'd give you water and you'd never be thirsty again. Woo! I've drank that water. You have. That's why you're still around here. She ran back to town and she said, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. 
Hallelujah. You call that reading your diary. And, and what happened was her shame was turned. He flipped it. He flipped it. He flipped her shame into her testimony. You wanted to be an evangelist? Go and do that. Go and do that. Jesus never tells us we're sinners. He tells us of his love. We already know we're sinners. Grace be with you. This is gonna be our text. We'll look back a little bit. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear reproach, the reproach that he endured. For here, we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Again, what a wonderful text for New Life City. A church that's named for the eternal city of God. A church that's name is a, is a name that says we are the citizens of a city that's eternal. We are the citizens of a city wherein being yet undisclosed, it's utterly and completely present to us. Being yet unknown, we walk on their streets of it. That's what the gospel tells us. That which is ours to come is ours now because we are heirs of Christ Jesus. Through him then let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. And I tell you, the praises of Jesus is the strength of the church. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. Such sacrifices are well-pleasing to God. But lest I pass it one more time, let me tell you about the grace of verse, um, what is it, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify people through his blood. Now listen, now listen, we're stained. I'm, I've been teaching theology and I teach the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin tells us that the whole human race is stained. But the doctrine of atonement tells us that he cleanses us, washes us, purifies us. That blood is the instrument of his cleansing. If you wanna understand blood in the Bible and the, sacrifice, the, the blood of sacrifice, it's a washing element because the outpoured life is what, is what cleanses from all cost. So look, so Jesus suffered outside the gate this passage, I told you last week, has so many echoes that are relevant to us. I've, I'll, I'll tell you two things plainly that I've told you obliquely all the way through this study. Um, we don't know who the author is, but I think I might know. I just have never said Lots and lots of people think Paul wrote it. I think Luke wrote it. I don't have time to make the case. Go do your homework. 
But the reason it sounds like Paul in places is because Luke was Paul's man. Luke, even if he wasn't Jewish, which we don't actually know, would have understood Judaism through the eyes of Rabbi Saul, Rabbi Paul. He would have known everything about it. The echoes of the gospel of Luke and Acts are through the book. So anyway, there's just that. That's just a throwaway for you. And the second thing is, to whom is it written? I'm pretty sure that if you would nail down a date, it would be 66, 67, or 68. So let's go 67. 67, year of our Lord, 67. Year of our Lord, 67, was a notable time. Couple things had been happening. One, rampant persecution of Christians in Rome by the Roman Caesar Nero, one of the first of of what would be many outbursts of persecution. And that sticks in people's heads as maybe one of the things he talks about when he talks about their persecution. The other thing was the Jewish wars. The Jewish wars began about 66. And the Jewish wars would go 66 to 70. When Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away before all these things come to pass. In the book of Matthew, he was actually talking about something that would happen within a 40 year span. It it happened. This book was written on the cusp of its fulfillment. It hadn't reached its height yet. So some people think the book was written either to suffering Christians who had to do with Rome, and I'll make the attachment to that before I'm done tonight. Others believe, or I should say your pastor, believes that it's written to Jews who were in Jerusalem because the language is so rich with telling us what's happening to them. The the superiority of Jesus to all of the things that were in their life that were, as the writer said, obsolete and passing away. And then it's crowned with this text. Jesus suffered outside the gate. Do you know what outside the gate means in, in, in Judaism? Do you know what it meant in, in, in uh, the Hebrew faith? Outside the gate was outside, or outside the camp, it said in some text. It, mean, it means you're unclean. You always went out of the camp in times of uncleanness and you had to go through ritual cleansings. The death of Jesus actually happened outside the camp. I'm saying to you that I think these people were Jews who were dealing with their faith in Jesus and finally they're going to have to make the decision to go outside the camp. Now think about what I've just told you. It was a moment of national emergency. And the allegiance to Christ separated them from their allegiance to their historic faith. And the writer says, let's go to him. He suffered outside the gate. Let's go outside the gate with him. And don't miss this. You know this about Jesus. What did Jesus do with the leper? Everyone said, you can't touch the leper. The leper will make you unclean. 
Jesus touched the leper and the leper became clean. To go outside the camp was to go to the place of uncleanness. Jesus made the unclean place clean. Look what it says. In order to make them clean, sanctify people through his own blood. So let's go to him. So now listen to me. You're gonna make a lot more messes in your life and I'm not gonna be around to sort you out. Don't run from him, run to him. He's the only one that can make you clean. And I want you to know about the blood of Jesus. It's unwearying. I want you to know about grace. It's inexhaustible. Run to him. Every person that goes from being a child to a parent knows this. Oh, they wish, oh, if our kids, when they're at their worst, would just come and tell us, we would help them. They're certain we would sanction them. Well, we might sanction them. But every parent really wants most of all is for their child to come humbling and stumbling into their presence and say, I've done an awful thing. You know what you would do. You would draw nearer to them than you've ever been. And this is Jesus. And we run to him. So, run to him. His grace is for you. Obey your leaders. Do what I just said. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. I'm only gonna touch a moment of this. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And then these words, and this is the word I have for you, for Mama Gail and myself, pray for us. Pastor, how can we pray? Well, we were very clear on our instructions that this is it for us, but we have no idea what the future is. Not in terms of house, not in terms of where, not in terms of what. We know a few little things. I know this, I'm not done. I'm certainly not done proclaiming the mysteries of Jesus Christ. I'm not done telling people things about him so wonderful that make, I want people to have to say, I, w I wish I knew him like that and say to you, well, he's very close, he's very near. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So the author is saying to these people that he, know, he knows them, he's with, and he will be restored to them. There's this underlying question of whether the author is himself in prison. The language is there and we just, I, I think it, it, it's, we, yeah, we just had the text last week. We just had the text. Care for those in prison as though you yourselves are in prison, for you are also in the body. 
It'll look in a minute as if Timothy also is in prison. These men, these apostolic leaders, these men were not unacquainted with such privations and hardness. And this is the text. All that was the introduction. And this is the text. And it's really just this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I could pretty quickly and easily say, here endeth the gospel. The writer has been locked in a great battle for the minds of the people that he's writing to. I'm pretty sure whatever else I'm supposed to be involved in in the future, I'm supposed to be a man of war. I'm pretty sure of it. And I'm pretty sure that the Lord is trying to equip me to go to battle differently than I want to go to battle. You understand you understand that, that uh, in the kingdom of God, tears are stronger than bullets. When I read about the apostles through their, these letters, every time I read, what I read is how strong their heart is for people. You can never know what your heart is like for somebody until you're about to pull away from them. Bound in the spirit to do so. That's been done a lot around here lately. A little more. He's asking for a little more. But I want you to know he's good and he's going to do good things among you. I thought about this passage and uh, I was reminded of some things that are, I'm reminded of some things that are in the scripture that are not in this text. Oops, I closed it. I'll just do it here. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, you know, you know the Corinthian church. You guys are not like this, but but the Corinthian church was the church that um, they had a love hate relationship with Paul. In fact, they even one one time they even said to him, "When you come back to us, bring letters of recommendation." And Paul answered, as only Paul could answer, "You are my letters of recommendation." 
But he goes on to say this to them. Look what he says. Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. 2 Corinthians 11, 1. For I'm jealous of you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Ooh, he said that to the Corinthian church because he understands stain and purity and the way the Bible unpacks it. The unclean are made clean. The unchaste are made chaste. He says in another place, oh, how I am constrained until Christ be formed in you. Become the kind of people that can see Jesus everywhere and in everything. Oh, that we could have found him as freely in the shutdown. Oh, that we could have found him when our nation exploded in violence and anger and frustration. Oh, that we could have found him in the contentiousness of our nationalist passions of an election. He's better than all those things. We can... He's God's answer to all those things. He's, he's what God has to say about all those things. Lord, what do you have to say about God who at sundry times and in sundry things days has spoken to us by these prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed as the heir of all things. The heir of all things? Yes. <laughs> the heir of all those things that are unsettling to us. For him. And that book dares to say that all things will be under his feet. And then the writer is clever enough under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, well, we don't see it yet. But we do see him. And the writer won't let them take their eyes off Jesus. He sh they say, we have, we have Moses. And he says, we have Jesus. We have Joshua. We have Jesus. We have, the, we have the Levitical priesthood. We have Jesus. We have the temple. We have Jesus. We have the sacrifice. We have Jesus. And he won't let them take their gaze off of him until he comes to that climax moment of saying, now let's go to him outside the gate. No matter what we have to relinquish, lose, give up, say no to, turn our back on. Let's go to him. They'll call us names, let's go to him. Our own, our own closest ones will hate us, let's go to him. Now may the God of peace. <laughs> Jesus has a funny way of waging peace. You know how he does it all the time? He wages peace in the bottom of a boat with the storm raging. Jesus is waging peace. You know, he wages peace. He wages peace in the presence of a, of a legion of demons possessing one fearful body. 
And in order to show him the glory of God, he wrecks the local economy to wage his peace. Oh, please, Jesus, wreck their economy. That's how he wages peace. May, now may the God of peace, hallelujah, the God of peace, just do yourself, do, do your little Google searches, the God of peace. You will find that it's a phrase often found in the epistles of Paul, the God of peace. Peace in the Bible is not the absence of conflict, but the presence, just the presence. Peace in the Bible is that stuff that even though you're suffering from the choking of your emotions. I've read this to you before over the years, but I was reminded of it again. I can't believe that I've lived long enough to be the age of my beloved mentor, from Mid-America Seminary, Dr. Reginald Barnard. Dr. Barnard told us about a family story. I'll read it to you. It's in the book called Doctar, a missionary story. Ten months after the courageous Barnard family reached East Pakistan, lovely 14-year-old Mary died from a small bowel obstruction because her father could find no surgeon to operate. Six months earlier, she had undergone an emergency appendectomy in a hospital near her boarding school in South India. The appendicitis in the surgery had caused adhesions, which six months later suddenly created a destruction in her intestinal tract. After Mary's burial in the Chittagong Cemetery, Reverend Barnard wrote to us a moving letter containing an arresting passage. And here it is from the God of Peace. Just last week, our precious child, Winifred Mary, went home to be with the Lord. Although we rejoice in the blessed hope, which is far better, precious memories crowd in upon us, forcing the tears from our eyes. But we have no complaint to make. He doeth all things well. The fact came home to me so strongly when in desperation I raced around Chittagong seeking a surgeon or a medical man to relieve her terrible suffering. In a city of 300,000, I could find no one to help, not a surgeon who could operate. You can travel the coastline from Akyab to Burma to Dhaka in the heart of East Pakistan, and along this line of over 400 miles, there's not one skillful surgeon. Though our hearts are crushed and bruised, we have no complaint to make. For he doeth all things well. And our prayer is that her passing may be as a corn of wheat falling to the ground, that it might die and bring forth 
much fruit. It was not long after that, not long at all, that the Western compassion poured into the province and the Mary Barnard Memorial Hospital was built so that in her death, much life could come, not unlike our Savior. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. It's good that we've been so reminded in these last weeks of my time with you how helpless we are in the face of that which is most ominous. And yet, how able we are to face it because the God of peace who brought again from the dead, the Lord Jesus, is the one that they said, now let's go to him outside the gate. The great shepherd of the sheep I wish I could, um, if, you're, if you're a very cynical person, you would, you would look at your pastor family in the last couple of years and you would say, all this was planned out. Well, I mean, that is how conspiracy theories get started. I never stop, do I? No, I, we knew step by step what we were doing. That's it. We knew what we were feeling, but we didn't know what we were doing. And uh, there's been such wonderful providences along the way. Even up, to, even up to this week, moment by moment, I was like, Jesus put little mercy drops in my path. There's two people that I knew first in this city, Ken Armstrong and um, his ex-wife, Ruth Tillerson. <laughs> Ken and Ruth came to my Baptist church in Jacksonville, Florida, posing as a couple while they were actually poaching a pastor. I haven't seen uh, Ruth and her husband, Joe, in a couple of years, and not much over the years since I left the Baptist church, but every time you see them, they're the same. And oh, by the way, if you wanna understand Steve Carlson, they made him, and he won't deny it. Probably Barb too, a little bit. <laughs> and this week, I'm sitting in a restaurant, and. In comes Joe and Ruth and their son, Jim, who's a whole other story of miracle. But listen, I just got to sit with them and talk about the years and the tears and the joys. And, and I'm like, even in little ways, I have a shepherd 
have a shepherd, a good shepherd. Now you listen to me. You have a good shepherd. And if you have a good shepherd, people come and go. He never leaves. You remember what it said? You remember I've told you, I've taught you about this, how that in the Old Testament, kings were supposed to be shepherds because David was the shepherd. And kings were supposed to be good because David was the good king. But all the kings were so bad that the prophet Ezekiel made a complaint about it in one of his prophecies and talked about it all and said, all the shepherds were bad, but he said, but God says, I will shepherd my sheep. And then comes that day that Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. One, by the way, one of the, most, one of the most revealing moments of the revelation of his divine origin is right there in that text. I am the good shepherd. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. One of the mercies of God on Gail and I in our homelessness was to meet was to meet and uh, have an opportunity to grow close to Rick and Barb Kwans. And we never imagined the role they would play in our life in this last year, really. But they took us in. And as we were making these little steps of saying, we think we're supposed to do this, but we don't, don't know what. And there they were, so, well, you're going to come live here. You better watch out if I show up at your house, I might stay. I said I was gonna start a new ministry, casita surfing. Can't get this stuff just anywhere. They have shepherd dogs. And one of their shepherd dogs is a little touched in the head. If you start walking with him, he gets all antsy and starts trying to hurt you. He literally starts trying to hurt you. The great shepherd of the sheep, he's hurting you and you don't even know it. He's got you. He's got me. I'm doing that thing that I've been doing the last couple of weeks. Gail's getting anxious because I'm preaching long. Are y'all getting anxious? Good, because I'm not either. By the blood of the eternal covenant. I love the book of Hebrews because it, it's, the, it's the book. It's the book that takes us to the blood, the blood, the blood. If you're an old Baptist church, you, you'll, Baptist people will come along and they'll say, I really like the songs about the blood. And I think, how strange that must sound to people who don't go to church. <laughs> the blood which magnifies and demonstrates his great love, but it's the blood by which we become the family members with God. You understand you're in his family. By the blood of Jesus, by the blood of the covenant, you're in his family. I've talked to you about the covenant. I don't have to labor you tonight. So let's turn it 
Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with every good that you may do his will. I've told you about that word equip before. I'll tell you again. It doesn't mean to, to put in your hands a, um, like a, a, a backpack and all, all the equipment. It doesn't mean that. It, it doesn't mean to equip you externally with all the equipment you need. It means to enable you, to heal you, to bring you to the place of his original intention. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. <laughs> I've been thinking lately about that old um, chariots of fire. And I love that moment in the chariots of fire, in the movie when, he, when the guy says, when I run, I feel his pleasure upon me. And I think, oh, that everyone could have the thing in life where they go, this is when I feel his pleasure upon me. This is when I'm doing what I'm made for. And of course, I'm saying it to you because this is when I feel his pleasure upon me. And walking away from the weekly privilege gives me no small amount of pause. But I'm following the great shepherd of the sheep. And he will not forget me. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You're made for his pleasure. You're made for his delight. You say, I don't get that. Well, then look at your own children or look beyond them to your grandchildren. <laughs> You'll understand the pleasure. It'll come to you. It'll come into view. He works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Oh, I try to run at shipwreck all the time. I try to mess it up. I've been trying to mess it up for a long time, haven't you? And somehow he gets us off the rocks and safely back in the harbor. He gets us home safely through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And I'll just read this last part over you. I appeal to you, brothers, to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Again, that hint of incarceration with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints and those who come from Italy send you greetings. I won't comment upon that. Just this last word. Grace be to all of you. Let's get ready for communion. God's riches. If you don't have the elements, let the, let the men see it.
I told Stephen that when I was standing down there tonight, I didn't tell you all this, did I? I told him, but I don't think I told you. That um, I thought to myself when he was leading us in worship, I thought, oh, I wish I could hear him lead crushing snakes one more time. And then because Jesus loves me best of all. (laughs) Can I just leave you with that message? He is able to make all his children feel like they're the favorite. That's the love of God. So that in your heart you say, they don't know how it is between me and you, Jesus. I feel sorry for them. That's what it means, grace be with all of you. Paul begins six of his epistles that way and finishes four of them that way. And Hebrews. Except that the writer of Hebrews adds the little word, all. And so grace means his riches. His riches. That text just before where we started tonight says there's an altar from which those who serve at the temple have no right to eat. It meant that if you stayed in the Levitical system, you couldn't eat at the altar of Jesus. But if you go to him outside the camp, willing to go out among the unclean, he would cleanse you and he will feed you. This is the body of Christ for you. Amen. Stand together if you're able to stand. If you're not, it's fine. The great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. In doing this, the writer of Hebrews has equated the new covenant, which he expounded on greatly, with what's called the eternal covenant. There won't be any other covenants made by God in this world. No more covenants. There's only the covenant in the blood of Jesus through which people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue can enter in and become one family. Our power to heal this world is found in experiencing what it means to truly 
be family with those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. This is the blood of the covenant. This is Jesus. Amen. Jared, whatever you do back there, be happy. When, I'm serious about it. When, when you let us, I said, man, am I going to preach a rousing sermon? And then I got up to speak to you and it just went away. Just, <laughs> just, it just went away. But the sweet fragrance of Christ is here. The God of peace is here. He's here to equip you. So those who need a fresh touch of his peace ought to come and those who feel ill-equipped to do that which they're made for ought to come. And those who haven't learned to find the place of his pleasure upon you in your life, you ought to come. So come for prayer. Come let us pray for one another and let's bless one another. Thank you for joining us. For any more info, please visit our website, newlifecity.org.